You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans happening right now. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check out everything they have to offer at FamilyDry.com. Remember to mention socks in the basement. You get money off. If you have water coming into your house, they will fix that. If you want to prevent it getting into your house, they have all kinds of different ways to get that water out of your house and away from your property either in the basement or along the foundational line just outside the house. So many different things that they do. Once again, check them out at FamilyDry.com or give them a call 24-7-708-330-4466. My friend, I want to have a show today that is strictly White Sox fan service. Like something that is just like, I want to interact with the fans, and I kind of have to because I completely screwed up. Oh, really? Yeah, I totally screwed up. How'd you screw up? We launched a new version of Socks in the Basement, and we went through this service that I found that, you know, it it was basically a great way to integrate how the podcast can be consumed by people, and then also gave an opportunity for your blog, Mismatched Socks, to be integrated in as well and it gives us a chance for people when they're on the website to leave voicemails there's a little microphone that shows up in the bottom right hand corner on whatever device you're using if you don't see it right away start scrolling it pops up when you hit that you can send us a voice message you can also leave comments you can send us messages and then i just never checked any of them (laughs) so for the entire month of august i never checked i never checked any of the messages so we we give people all this opportunity to come and interact with us right to tell us what they want to hear <laughs> as far as how they want us to break down White Sox baseball right. or topics they want to discuss or mm-hmm. criticisms or comments, and you ignored them. I didn't ignore them. I just kind of forgot that we had all that stuff. Like, it was like... Uh, yeah, okay. Like, I was enamored with the idea that there was a search engine where you could, like, find any topic that we talked about just by going on SoxInTheBasement.com and finding it. And it would list all the shows with like, like, let's say you wanted to hear everything that uh, we ever did with Scott Merkin from MLB.com, who covers the White Sox. You could just punch it in. All the Scott Merkin interviews just pop up. I thought that was really cool. I was kind of into the little voice message thing in the bottom right hand corner. So I stopped checking the phone line that we have set up because there's two different ways to contact us. And some people are still calling 708-459-8406 from their phones. And I wasn't checking that. So I have I have a voicemail. In fact, let's let's start with the voicemail right now. Then I want to get to some okay. of the listener comments. And then I have a listener that's going to be joining us who has been interacting with us on Twitter. I think the guy is really interesting. He's never been on one of these podcasts before. And I'm going to bring him in because he has been finding some really incredible stats and little little nuances to the game and some some really fun stuff, especially as we enter September for White Sox fans that are wondering. Are we leading by too many games? What is an indication that we might have trouble in the postseason? What is an indication that we're going to do well in the postseason? There's some history there, so we're going to have him on as well. But let's let's get to the voicemail first as we as we do a little White Sox fan service here on Sox in the Basement. And I finally 
I guess, listen and read everything that people have been sending us for the last month or so. Hey, Sox in the basement, guys. Uh, Dean from Lyle. Just some general observations for the Sox team on Friday. Dallas Keuchel is working unbelievably slow. Dallas Keuchel is the modern day and should be the modern day Mark Burley. Cutters in, change out. Cutters in, change out. And this is three times in a row that he has come out of his pregame bullpen session and just doesn't have the feel for either pitch. I don't mean that. I mean, this is a season bet. Obviously, you've got to figure it out, right? But what about Kurt Hassler? I don't mean to point the fingers of the bullpen coach, but that's got to be corrected before he literally takes them out. Anyway, I'm not going to get too negative on that. Other observations on the Sox game, yeah, you spot them six, and then you put the shellacking on and you beat the crap off. I don't know if I can say that. But what's the difference in the White Sox approach last night? Nine walks. And it has got to be next man up mentality. So when you take the walk, you have the ability to fire power throughout this lineup for plenty of our RBI opportunities. Anyway, sorry, it's just some coffee uh, kicking in on Saturday morning. Have a great day. And as always, go White Sox. That's one of the most recent ones. That's over this weekend. And it was right after the first game of the Cubs series where it was like a football score. Remember that? Sox scored, I think, 17 runs. So before we get to the first point, what he's talking about there is interesting. He's saying they drew a lot of walks. And because they drew a lot of walks and they were working the count, there were more guys on base for those big moments when all of a sudden runs are scoring. There's something to that. I've always felt like walks do increase the output of your offense. That's one of the things that makes Yasmani Grandal so good. It was also the first time that Grandal was back in that lineup, and I think he adds such an interesting dynamic to your team because he is not going to swing at anything unless you put three of them clearly in the zone. And if you put them in the zone, he's got a great chance of getting a big hit or lifting it completely out of the ballpark, right? Well, yeah, and and you do certain things when you get a walk. You First of all, you can take the pitcher uh, out of the windup into the stretch. You can make it so that the pitcher is now looking for the zone and they're trying to figure out. Because, you, you know, you watch watch the games and watch how often a catcher will turn around or kind of... You can tell he's sort of saying something to the ump or the pitcher, you know, slaps at the ball when it's thrown back to him because he's mad because he thought he hit a spot and he's not getting his pitches. Those types of things, they do get in pitchers' heads. So, yeah, you get a walk, you get a guy that's on base, and it is going to get that pitcher now trying to just get a strike over, and that's where a guy can do some real damage. So it's I don't I don't think that that's a bad observation in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think you hit it on the head when you said that Grandal being back and, and a guy that draws walks and a guy that works counts being back in that lineup uh, and the, the way, you know, the impact that he has had this year has been primarily through just getting on base or using the power. It showed. It showed over the weekend. I, I grant you it's the Cubs that they were playing, but still, that, that is still a an offensive outburst that you would expect from a team that is going places and should be taking care of business against a team like that. It should have been football scores all weekend. So the first part of his comments had to do with Dallas Keuchel. And Dallas Keuchel's terrible. Dallas Keuchel admitted the last time he got in front of people after his last start that he's terrible. He's got a whip over 1.40. He's at, I think, uh, 1.412 right now, over 136 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's got an ERA of five. His wins above replacement per baseball reference is 0.1. That's bad. 
Like at yeah. least he's not a negative impact, but pretty much you can bring up anybody because that's wins above replacement level player, right? You could bring up anybody and have him be the fifth starter, and they should theoretically do the exact same that Dallas Keuchel is doing. What that's saying is that AAA players ready to go are equal to Dallas Keuchel right now. So it, it's been terrible. His his question is, do you think it's because of the fact that he's taking a lot of time on the mound? I've noticed that as well, and I think that when a pitcher is doing bad, he gets into his own head, and now he's out there talking to himself, and he's trying to be perfect. I mean, Keuchel seems to know now that he's the fifth starter. He made comments the other day indicating that he completely understands that he probably does not have a spot uh, on the postseason roster, at least as a starter, and that he's playing over the next month for an opportunity to start in a playoff game, and he might not even make the playoff team. He seems to be very aware of that. So that's got to really hurt his ego a little bit. So do you think it's the speed? you think he's in his own head? Do you think he's fixable? Well, that's the problem, right? You can you can make a case that a guy who works slow versus you know the 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 idea that he should be the new Mark Burley. That's a that's a nice comment there. You know, cutter in, change up down, because the profile seems to fit, right? Keuchel is that kind of a guy. He throws pitches that need to move. They are not all that fast anymore. They are you know intended to throw hitters off balance and get them to induce weak contact. He's just not doing it anymore. Right, and he pitches the contact. I mean, he only has. Five and a half strikeouts per nine. So I mean, like this isn't this isn't the kind of guy that's going to go out there and whiff ten guys. It's not what he is. And Burley was just like that as well. So I get the comparison, the idea that you know why isn't he just moving a little bit quicker and jumping all over batters because it's not like he has knockout stuff. You know where he can sit there and they can get they can prep for him to throw the ball. Like he might as well just start peppering it in there and keep them off balance. Well, yeah, and so to the point about his strikeout numbers. Okay, so this year. His strikeouts per nine innings is 5.5. His walks per nine innings is 3.1, which is not too far off of where he's been in the past in his career. It's higher than he was when he was with the Astros and at his best. So he has, one, put more guys on base via the walk than you really want him to. He is also not striking out guys nearly at the pace he was, where he used to be in the 6.7 to 7.7 range. In his Cy Young year, it was 8.4. He had you know, more strikeouts that year than any, any other time in his career. But that all said, what that shows you is that, one, he's not getting whiffs. Two, he's not getting guys out by getting them to chase stuff. So he does have to pitch to contact. He does have to do stuff to throw the batters off. And it doesn't necessarily mean working faster. It just means finding a rhythm that screws with the hitter's timing. And that's really what it is. Now, is he fixable? You know, honestly, I don't know. Because if you look at it, you go back, say, to 2018, his last year in Houston, right? And that was something of a down year for him. wasn't great as far as his, his peripheral numbers. His whip was 1.314. He goes to Atlanta in that partial season in 2019. He's got a 1.367 whip. Comes back last year in the short season, has a fantastic season, right? Just amazing last year. And then this year he's bad again. It's possible that this is just Dallas Keuchel not being able to adapt to the downslide of his career. And lefties tend to hang around longer, I think, because you get that soft-tossing lefty thing going on where they do throw guys off. They throw sometimes, think back to Jamie Moyer, for example, who 
at the end of his career was being successful as a member of the Phillies for, you know, or, or wherever he was pitching, because I think he pitched for pretty much every team except the Sox. But what he was doing, he was basically throwing a fastball that was below changeup speed by every other pitcher's measurements, and then a changeup that was so slow it was practically an EFIS going up there in terms of velocity, and it was throwing guys off. So Keuchel is somewhere in between that. He's not that extreme Jamie Moyer, I'm throwing it so slow you don't know what to do with it, but he's also not at his old self where clearly he was able to get strikeouts and he was able to get stuff in the zone and get guys swinging at it. So is that something that can be fixed? Yeah, but he's got to probably come up with an entirely new game plan. So if he wants to work quicker and that does it, fantastic. If he needs to ditch a pitch and find something else that works, great. If this is what he is going forward, then yeah, he has at least got the self-awareness to understand that Jonathan Stever could come up here and do the exact same thing. Or, you know, Mike Wright Jr. could have been in the rotation the entire year, done the entire, you know, done this entirely without paying $18 million a year. Frankly, if I'm a Sox fan, I'm a little less worried about them fixing Dallas Keuchel because I don't think they will use five pitchers in the postseason. And I don't know that he's going to be on the postseason roster because he, he may not be useful out of the bullpen. I would be more worried about having to carry his salary forward next year and trying to figure out what to do with him in 2022 when he still has what 18 million coming to him and may not be a viable candidate to stay in the rotation socks in the basement listeners do the hard work and if you're a hard-working man or woman on the south side you need to be outfitted properly and that's why you should visit red wing shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva, a work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. And the White Sox, by the way, couple games over 500 in August. Not bad. Because I, I think in 05, they were 500 exactly. And everybody just keeps looking back at the last time they won a World Series going, are we on that same pace? They had a really good August, and they had a very, very tough stretch in there. But uh, earlier on in the month, one of the many messages that I missed at SoxInTheBasement.com, and I promise if you go and leave messages now or, you know, use the voicemail option or type something in, whatever you do, I will check this now regularly. I will never do this again. Uh, Chaz wrote... On August the 6th, and it still applies now because he was talking about Dallas Keuchel even back then, I want to suggest something you might not like. What do you think about moving one of our starters, like Dallas Keuchel, into the bullpen and moving a pitcher like Kopech into the starting rotation? I've seen similar things over the years. He indicates later on in this uh, message that he's been a White Sox fan since the 1960s. He thinks there's other guys that are capable of filling in in that fifth starter role. Now, I agree with part of that, Ed, because we've talked with people in the past here on Socks in the Basement. I think Don Paul's brought it up on this show. We've talked with pitching coaches before 
uh, who have come on and 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 they they've done some training with the White Sox. We I, I want to say a, a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Minshaw was on about a year ago, right around the time that Don Cooper w- was gone, and he talked about Coop and his career. And one of the lessons that he learned from him was sometimes a guy just needs to go into the bullpen and work things out. So I get that idea. Michael Kopech's not coming out of the bullpen though. That's his role. That's his role for this year. They're not making any change on that, so that's not even a possibility. But would Keuchel be served working in small doses without the pressure of having to start a game and thinking to himself, man, I got to go six or seven, and instead coming in and dealing with one inning or two innings just for a couple of weeks to get himself straight? Do you think that would benefit him? Well... Here's a name coming out of the bullpen that you're also not going to necessarily like, but Ronaldo Lopez. I'm fine with it. May have earned himself a spot as this team starter, right? Um, fifth starter, rather. I, I I would say, you know, if you're going to put Keuchel in to the pen, then he assumes the same role that Ronaldo has right now, where they're using him as a long guy, right? And they're basically using him in a situation where he is, uh, you know, that first guy out of the pen in case somebody runs into trouble and that somebody happens to be Dallas Keuchel seemingly more often than not. So if you were to flip those two guys and you're going to say, look, here's what we're going to do. We are going to use Ronaldo as the fifth starter for when we need a fifth starter. Dallas, you're going to be the first guy up. So we're going to let you know, you're going to pitch on days when Ronaldo is pitching. But I am going to use you for an inning here or there. And because you don't want to necessarily do something, I think, where Dallas Keuchel, who has been on a routine for years, where he's a starter every fifth day or so, and he's got his scheduled bullpen, he's got his scheduled side sessions, all those things. You don't want to necessarily take him out of there because then there's a chance that he could come in if you got to use him back to back days or something like that. You know, maybe he's not properly stretched out and maybe he gets hurt. And, and that doesn't do anybody any good either. But if you were to sit there and say, yeah, you know, we're going to put you in low leverage situations where we need them, or you're going to follow the starter if we get a starter who runs short and it might be, you know, keeping an eye on Lopez is just not stretched out as much, not because he hasn't been a starter in the minors this whole time, but just because he hasn't gotten deep into games because down in Charlotte, he wasn't very good, but up here he's been really good in short doses. So something like that might work out and maybe that does help him find something, whatever that something is. The other thing, too, is, is that maybe it is a situation where this is a part of his career where Dallas Keuchel can find something in the pen that makes him a really exceptional height leverage reliever, where sometimes guys go into the bullpen and they find that, look, if I shut it down to a couple of my best pitches and I can put more effort in there because I'm not trying to save myself for later innings, I'm not trying to pace myself, but I can come out and I can throw harder, or I can put more effort into it, or I can try and get more spin out of it, whatever, then yeah, then maybe they do come up with something there where he's he's got it. I At this point, if Tony announced that Lopez was starting and Keuchel was going to move to the bullpen, I wouldn't bat an eye. I would just be curious as to what Keuchel does and and I don't think there's any way to know until you put him out there but on the other hand I kind of understand the fact that they're up by you know double digits or near double digits and they've been that way for the last month or so to the second place team which has been the Indians for the majority of it and the Tigers have fallen back a little bit so when you have that big of a lead and your magic number is about to break 20 and get into the teens do you want to mess with the head of a Dallas Keuchel by moving him into the bullpen when in reality, you're just giving him his bullpen innings in inning one and inning two. 
And if he's going well, then you just have a short leash on him. So it's an interesting thing. I still think that psychologically, if he knew I'm only coming in for this one inning, or I'm only expected to get six outs, and he was coming out of the bullpen, it might change the way that he's thinking enough that he could carry it over next year. I don't want to lose the guy in the next seasons. We've got him for two more years. So I don't want to lose him going forward. On the other hand, right now, from this point until the end, it's all about winning the World Series. If you're not good enough, you don't get the go. You don't get to go into the postseason. If you're not good enough for the start, you sit on the bench. If you're not good enough to go out there and, and pitch in the, in the opening innings, maybe you're a relief pitcher. If you're not good enough to be in the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, or the ninth, if you're the 5th or 6th uh, relief pitcher out there, you may never be seen in the postseason unless there's a blowout one way or another. It's going to very quickly become the intensity of who is the best guy that's available at this moment and feelings be damned. And at least Keuchel is starting to figure that out. Final month of the regular season and then the postseason. And the place to be is Cork and Carey at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. Indoor-outdoor seating. A beautiful bar. It's even longer than the 9-foot homemade oak bar that we we do the show from much longer than that. All right. They've got a full bar, craft beer on tap, as, as well as all the favorites. They have an incredible menu with award-winning burgers. They're going to get you the food right away. You're not going to stand in line forever. You're going to eat good, well-prepared food at a great price. You're going to sit down and have a couple of beers or a drink at a great price before you head into the ballpark where eh, it's a little bit more expensive. Why not pregame? Over at Cork and Carry at the park, a Southside tradition post game there as well. If they're on the road, watch the game from the Cork. Once again, 33rd in Princeton. You can check out everything they have to offer, including that incredible menu at Cork and Carry at the park.com. One guy that I found on White Sox Twitter, his name is Jay Kuda, and here's a guy that does not have a lot of followers. Follows Sox in the basement, has tweeted us every once in a while, and then when I go in and I take a look at what he does, he finds some of the most incredible stats and just these little nuanced things. We, we've mentioned a few of them over the last couple of weeks here on the show, and I wanted to bring Jay on and say hello. How are you, Jay? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for listening to Sox in the Basement. If somebody wants to follow you on Twitter, it's at J-J-A-Y-Cuda, C-U-D-A. Very simple, very easy to find. The thing that stuck out the most to me, you did a breakdown over the last 10 or so years. Uh, for, since the 2009 season when the Phillies won the World Series. And mm-hmm. what you were trying to show is that you don't have to be in a pennant race in the final month of the season to win the World Series. I think a lot of people feel that way because they remember how the White Sox, uh, the, the Indians closed in on them. It got really mm-hmm. close. Yep. And then they were able to pull away at the end and everybody's like, well, that's what motivated them to win the World Series. Being out by a ton of games scares me. Yep. But what you showed, with, with the exception of the 2010 Giants, who were a game and a half beyond, behind for the wild card and had a couple of must-win games, and the Cardinals the next year, who were in several must-win games, everybody else from 2009 through even last year with the Dodgers, all of those teams pretty much had it locked up September the 1st. Like, not officially, they hadn't clinched yet, but they had big, giant leads, most of them with double-digit leads or close to double-digit leads, right? And then they went on to win the World Series anyway. Yep, exactly. Yeah, stress-free September. I mean, 
really like those two teams you mentioned back 10, 12 years ago are the only two that really had some, you know, stressful must-win games in September. Um, and one of the other interesting things I found was that, um, you know, despite that, most, most if not all of the teams that won the World Series in the last decade have, have been hot in September, you know, 18 and 8, 19 and 10. Uh, with the exception of the Royals, which which is kind of a an outlier, you know they were like 11 and 19 or something <laughs> in September before they won it all. So um, yeah, just like you said, you, it's definitely a misconception that you know you got to be hot or you got to be um, you know in a tight race, stressful situations leading into the playoffs. Um, yeah, really not the case at all. Yeah, it looks like you can have a big lead, but you you better be winning. Like if you're if you're yeah. if you're not winning more games than you're losing in that final month, it doesn't bode well for you. But if you've got a lead and you're still winning games, that seems to be the important thing in what you were able to find. At least since uh, 2009, yeah. Let's just I just want to go over the last few guys, last few teams that won a World Series, what they did in September. Dodgers went 17-7 and in 20. The Nationals went 17-11. and The Red Sox only four over in 2018 and 15-11. The Astros in 2017 went 20-8. The Cubs in 2016 went 17-10. So it's not only winning, but really getting hot in the last couple of weeks. So while it might have been the dog days in August and trying things out, at some point, Tony's got to press down on the gas right now and get this team up to that level where they're crushing people in the last couple of weeks of the season. That's kind of how I feel. Even though Tony's 2011 Cardinals, they, well, they did go 18-8 and eight in that final month. That was the thing with the, that Cardinals team is, is that they were one of the lowest winning teams in history to win the World Series. But they got hot at the right time. Right, because they were five games back on September the 1st in 2011 for the wild card spot and go on to win the World Series. But generally, you've got to get the gas going. you gotta, you got to gas up the car and speed things up going into it. you got to have some momentum going into the postseason. Yeah, you do. In 2005, the White Sox went 17-12, and 12, in case you are out there wondering in, 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 you know, as to what the last team that we rooted for did this. But yeah, you do. You have to you have to pick it up in September. You can have a bad August. You can have the dog days. You just got to maintain your lead if you can, or even if you fall a little bit behind, it's fine. Uh, you just have to. It, it it is really who wins it in the end. Because if say the Tigers right now were to go on some incredible streak, even though the Sox have that double digit lead, if they don't keep pace, they're still going to fall behind them. Right. So you have to really hope that what you started to see as the calendar turns over from the end of August and into it. And again, we're talking about an August where they finished above 500 in what was going to be the toughest stretch. They got to keep it up and they got to put the hammer down a little bit and, you know, really pick on these teams that are coming up that are the easy teams to get and then try really hard to compete with anybody that they have left that is in a good position or happens to be hot, regardless of record. Because I think towards the end of the season, too, you have teams that are just saying, I'm going for broke. You got players who are playing for next year. You got pitchers who are trying to prove something or maybe have found something over the slog of a long season. Maybe that'll be Dallas Keuchel. That would be wonderful. But those types of things, I think, pop up. I promise in the future, if you go to SoxIntheBasement.com and you use a little microphone that's in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, if you don't see it right away, start scrolling, and you leave a voicemail, I will play them now. If you decide that you want to call and you know, and just call into the 24-7 number, I was going to take it down. And then I thought to myself, 
Well, is anybody still calling this? They are. 708-459-8406. I will now check this on a daily basis. I will not forget. If you want to leave comments, if you want to send us a message, you can do that through SoxInTheBasement.com. As we do a little White Sox fan service, and I make up for the fact that I was lazy this last month and didn't answer any fan questions, uh, you have another 2005 White Sox stat you want to share. Well, let's just let's just delay fans' fears, okay? Because the other narrative that we've had is, they suck against teams that are above 500 and potential playoff teams, and they're not going to win the World Series if they're not beaten up on those teams too. Well, I'm going to run across a couple of teams from 2005. I want you to guess how they did against that team. Seven games against the Boston Red Sox. What do you think the White Sox record was in 2005? I don't know. Just throw it at me. Three and four. In the ALCS, they faced the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Southern California of Orange County, somewhere near Los Angeles and probably on fire right now. Ten games, they were four and six against the Angels. The New York Yankees, who won the AL East that year, six games against them, they went three and three. The Oakland Athletics, who came in second place in the AL West, they went two and seven against them. And heck, they went three and six against the Rangers, and they weren't even above 500. So... I don't think there's a correlation here, folks. I remember the whole thing with the Angels. I remember that being such a thing in 05. You're right. Everybody's kind of focusing on, well, what did they do this year against those teams? Can we match up against them? First of all, we didn't have the lineup that we're going to have when we walk into the postseason. We're not going to have that lineup. Correct. Tony's not going to be, Tony's not playing Leary, you know, in in three of the seven games of a seven-game series. Like, that's not happening, Right. right? He's sitting on the bench. There's not going to be like rest time. There's not going to be experiment time. There's not going to be, well, Luis Robert has three scheduled off days during this series of the ALCS. Like, that's not happening. Yeah, Tim Anderson's leg is a little sore, so we're just going to rest it today. You know, everybody's playing every day. You're getting the the real lineup every single day. So you have a very different team that's going to go out there. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you're right about 05. I remember they could not win on the West Coast. Not only in 05, they couldn't win on the West Coast. It's seemingly forever. It was it was a thing. It was like rookie left-handers. Rookie left-handers on West Coast trips, they were they were just toast. Right. So as we went into after we after we beat the Red Sox, I went to game 1 of the ALCS and we lost that close game and it felt heartbreaking at that moment. I don't know if a lot of White Sox fans remember this. The Angels had played well into the early morning hours the night before and had gotten no rest. And the whole day it was like, how how are the Angels even going to play, let alone beat the White Sox in Chicago with no rest? And we lost that game. And it was like, oh, no. And then then game two, everything was falling apart until the Pruszynski play where the ball may or may not have hit the ground before it got to the catcher on the swing and the drop third strike and whatever. And as far as I'm concerned... I don't care if it hit the ground or not. A.J. Prasinski's my hero for that play. Exactly. But you're one and one and you get a day off. And I, I've told this story before, but I don't know if a lot of people have heard. It's been a while since I've, I've, I've told it. I'm, I'm working on the near north side at that time. And I'm taking a metro after I connect to, you know, downtown at LaSalle Street Station. I'm going into Beverly where I'm living with my wife. And she's about to have our first child in 05. OK, uh, that child is a sophomore in high school now. That's how long it's been. And she's about a month away from having that child. I'm on the train, and there's this old guy on the train I've never seen before, Ed. Never seen him in my life. He's, he's just looking at me. I'm wearing my White Sox stuff. I'm, like, reading the newspaper because there are no smartphones. So I'm reading the newspaper over and over again, just, right. like, breaking down stats, you know, on, on what's going on, like getting ready for game three. 
And as I get off the train, he's standing next to me and I have to wait for the train to go by before I can cross the tracks. And he goes, you know, they're going to, they're going to win the next three games in Anaheim. And I turn to him and I go, you're out of your mind. They never win in Anaheim. Like we're just trying to steal a game so we can get back to Chicago. That's like all we're doing. We just need to steal a game because they took a game from us. Win three, we'd be lucky if we won two in Anaheim. I went in this big diatribe as I'm waiting for this train to go, right? And this, this calm old man is just looking at me. And as the train starts to move, he goes, trust me, they're going to win all three games in Anaheim. The train moves. I start walking across the tracks. I realize he's not next to me as I'm talking to him. I turn around. He's gone. He's absolutely gone. He didn't walk off in any other direction. I could see all around me. He's gone. I've always said that a baseball angel stood next to me and calmed my nerves that day because I didn't believe it was possible to win two games. I was hoping for one in Anaheim. That's how bad they were against the Angels. And they went out there and won all three of them. They were a completely different team. The playoffs is a different animal. If you don't believe me, ask the Minnesota Twins how the playoffs is different for them than the regular season when they keep going to the playoffs. It's very different. And it, it, it could swing the other way as well. Get in, and if, you're, if your manager's ready, if you're playing your best guys, if you're a little hot, like we just talked about earlier on this show, you've got a great chance of going all the way. And so I'm not as concerned about who they faced already this year and how they did against them. They get in, they win the Central. If, they, if they're hot, if they're winning in the last few weeks, look out because this team can run all the way through it. That baseball angel, by the way, was no angel. It was just a really bitter Tim Salmon who happened to be on the, the uh, train with you. And he was bitter because he had just retired and then the angels got good. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.